You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. Well, if you have your sermon notes, if you take those this morning, we're launching into a new series that we have titled The End. Now talk about end times. What's going to happen when this world as we know it ends? Within this three-part series, we're going to talk about the events that lead us up to the return of Christ, what's going to happen for believers, what's going to happen for unbelievers. Uh, also, we're going to I'm going to talk about some of the events following the return of Christ, like what's, what hap- what's going to happen. And next week I'm actually going to give you, from my perspective, a suggested timeline as to the events of what happens and how it all falls out in the end time. And then we're also going to do a quick overview of the book of Revelation. And let me tell you how quick and how high this overview is going to be. I'm going to teach the whole book of Revelation in one Sunday. 30 minutes, well, maybe 32 minutes. Um, I'm going to cover the whole book of Revelation because what I've come to discover is that a lot of you are avoiding the book of Revelation. You come to it and it's like, oh, man, that makes my head spin. There's so much imagery and symbolism. I I don't know what that means. I think I'm just going to skip it. However, the first part of of the book of Revelation, the scripture says God blesses the one who reads the book. It doesn't mean you have to understand it all, but you read the book. So read the book of Revelation. I think many times it's confusing because we're not looking at it through the right set of lenses. So I'm going to take one Sunday, I'm going to do a whole, I'm going to cover the book of Revelation. Again, it's going to be amazing. A miracle's going to happen on that Sunday. 32 minutes, the whole book. Um, we're going to make it through it. But that's where we're going in this series. And in case you're wondering, I'm not going to tell you who the Antichrist is. Because I don't know. I mean, down through the years, a lot of people have, you know, made bold statements about, you know, the Antichrist, Adolf Hitler's the Antichrist, some of our past presidents, the Antichrist. But well, no one knows, so I'm not going to tell you, because I don't know. I'm not going to tell you, uh, like, when Jesus is returning. Because, again, no one knows, right? The Scripture says no one knows the, the, the day or the hour or the time of Christ's return. I'm not going to give you all the details of the Battle of Armageddon, because, again, I don't know all of the details. We have ideas, we have some insights, but we don't like know the details of it. I know where it's going to happen. I've been there. I've been in the, the nation of Israel. I've seen the, um, the valley where they say the battle of Armageddon is going to take place. But we're not going to go that deep in this study. And we're going to take three weeks to talk about end times and what's going to happen in the end. And let me say at this point, there's a lot of different positions and interpretations as to the end time. And I may present things as I view it, and you may not agree with my end-time timeline, and I'm okay with that. I don't want to debate with you in the coffee shop later. I'm really not interested in that. If you don't agree with the... Because, again, a lot of different interpretations. It's not that I'm right and you're wrong, or you're right and I'm wrong. I mean, again, we're, we're trying to piece together that which we don't fully know. So there's going to be difference of opinions. And when it all happens, then we'll know, and how many of you know at that point it won't really matter, right? Like one of these days when we all get to heaven, it's going to, who gives a rip anyway, right? We worried about all of those things, and like they really didn't matter. Because uh, when we come to fully experience it, then we'll fully know. Until then, we don't fully know. So again, there may be differences of opinion, and, and really, I'm, I'm okay with that. But I don't want to debate with you about it. So... Uh, have a conversation maybe, but I'm just not into debating things that we can't be certain about. So we want to have grace within that. But about 25 years ago, 25 years ago when I was young and naive, pastoring in Knox City, Texas, I made the great proclamation one Sunday morning. I said, we are going to do a verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. 
The congregation was excited. I was excited. And it didn't take me long to figure out I was in over my head. I, I was talking about things I didn't understand. I couldn't piece it together. And this is what became so frustrating for me is I would be studying to present a teaching, a message. I would have these books out on my desk. So these are, are books written by scholars. These are books written by individuals who have all these initials after their name, meaning there's a whole lot smarter than myself, more educated than myself. Four different men writing about the same passage of Scripture, and they're all saying different things. It's like, who's right here? Like flip a coin and, you know, make your choice. I, I don't know which one of these scholars is right. They all think something different. So what is right? And I remember getting so frustrated and so exasperated in the study. I prayed this prayer. I remember the prayer even today. I said, God, if you get me out of this, I'll never teach the book of Revelation again. <laughs> and I've been true to that prayer and true to that promise. I've not preached. I'm not taught through the book of Revelation verse by verse. Overview I can do. Uh, but verse by verse, I told God, I said, I'll never do it again, and I, I haven't. But in this series, again, we're not going to go deep into the details, because there's so many different interpretations as to how it's all going to all fall out. But one of the things I've come to discover is like there's this great interest. Everybody wants to know, how's it going to end? When's it going to end? What's, what's the timeline of how this is all going to play out? There's been this fascination with the end and, and the details surrounding the future events. And countless books have been written and movies have been made that scared us all to death, right? Of, of how the end plays out. It was interesting. I, I did, a, I did a, a search on Amazon for books written about the rapture. And did you know there's been over 5,000 books written about the rapture? And in the last 90 days, there's been 164 books published about the rapture. And what that tells me, it tells me that there's a lot of interest about what's going to happen. When's it going to end? How's it, how's it going to end? This fascination's led to endless speculation that stirred confusion and at times brought fear and anxiety. And, and what I would want you to know today, listen folks, we don't have to be fearful of the end times. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be worried. We don't have to be like all frightful of, well, you know, there's the mark of the beast and the animal's going to come out of the sea and he's got all these horns and he is like some scary object. And we, listen, we don't have to be fearful of. We can live with confidence. Just as we can live in confidence of Jesus' provision in this present day, so we can live with confidence as we look to the end times. There's no need for the, the fear and the anxiety. But because we have this desire to know the future, I think much more attention has been given to the uncertainties, what we can't be certain about, rather than focusing on the certainties. What can we be certain about? You know, down through the years, and you can, you can check this out, and you can do a Google search about individuals who predicted the end of the time, and down through the years, there have been countless individuals who've given dates as to when Christ is going to return. And they have all of these scriptures that they've pulled out of context to prove that Christ is going to come back on this specific day. How many of you know they haven't got it right yet? Right? Because we're all still here. Right? I mean, if they'd got it right, we wouldn't be here, right? But they didn't, they didn't get it right. Why? Because there's all of this uncertainty in making bold predictions on that which we can't be certain of. But this is what we can be confident of and certain of is Jesus is coming back for his church. Amen? He's coming back for us. Interesting, there's five times more scriptures speaking of, more prophecies spoken in scripture, speaking of Christ's second 
coming as to that of his first coming. Five times. In other words, it's really clear in Scripture that Jesus is coming back for his church. So we can live in confidence of what? The redemption and the return of Christ. The challenge is, is we don't know exactly the when. But this morning, as we lay the foundation for this series, I want us to look to a passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, that's the New Testament, kind of toward the back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me give you the setting, because the setting for this passage of Scripture is really important. The believers in this town of Thessalonica, in the church of Thessalonica, were living with uh, this return of Christ. Like they thought Jesus was going to come back any day. Because Jesus said, hey, I'm coming back. So they thought, well, it's going to be tomorrow. And certainly, if it's not tomorrow, it's going to be the day after. I mean, Jesus is going to come back any time. They were living with that confident expectation. And because there's been a time delay, they have family members, believers, who are dying. And they're all concerned about what ha- what's going to happen to Uncle Joe, who loved Jesus, and he died. We buried him. Is there hope for Uncle Joe? So that, that's the question that they were asking because they were expecting like Jesus is going to come back next week and he didn't. And now we have family members that have deceased. What's the future hope for them? Is there hope? So Paul is addressing that specific question here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse, let's begin with verse 13. It says, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, those who die, or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, those who have fallen asleep in Him. So Paul's answering the specific question as to what happens to those who are believers who die. Notice verse 15, he goes on to say, According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, then after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Notice how Paul ends this, verse 18. He says, therefore, encourage each other. Don't stir fear. Don't stir anxiety. He says, hey, Jesus is coming back. That's what he clearly declares in this passage of Scripture. He says, encourage one another with these words. So this morning... From this passage of Scripture, I want to talk with you about the hope that we have as Christians. And in that, encourage you. And hopefully you're going to be able to be an encourager or an encouragement to others. But the hope we have as believers, when it comes to the end, we're not living without hope. We're living with great hope. Why? First, we have the promise of the return. Jesus is coming back. Encourage your neighbor this morning. Turn to your neighbor. You may have to elbow him and wake him up. Yeah, tell them what Jesus is coming back. Go ahead and tell them. He's coming back for what? His church. We can live with the confidence of Christ's return for a number of reasons, but let me give you two specific reasons. The first is this there's the proof of the scripture. I mean, again and again and again, matter of fact, there's 90 different verses in the New Testament alone that speak of the second coming of Christ. 90 
verses. It's almost like every book of the New Testament, 27 books, somewhere in each of those books, there's a reference to uh, the, the return of Christ or the revealing of the return of Christ or the hope we have in Christ. So first and foremost, we have the proof of Scripture. How do we know Christ is going to return? And in that we have hope. What the Scripture says so. Not only do we have the proof of Scripture, but we also have the promise of Jesus. Jesus himself said, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Let me give you, let me give you the, the, the context, and then we'll look to a couple of Scriptures. Jesus has, has told the disciples that he's leaving. He's going the way of the cross. And they are confused. They're grieved. They're exasperated. They don't understand. And in the midst of their grief... Jesus said these words to them as recorded in John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. He's going to come back to do what? To take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Listen, Jesus has prepared the way as he gave his life on the cross, resurrected on the third day. He's he's prepared a place. The place is called heaven. And he's promised his return that he's coming back, that we might be where he's at. Listen, Jesus came the first time as a sacrificial lamb to bring redemption redemption for mankind. In his second coming, he's going to come as the reigning king, the victorious, triumphant savior. And because he wins, we win as well. Because he's victorious, we're victorious as well. And we have hope when we think about the end of times. Why? Because Jesus is coming back for his church. And when he comes, the scripture says that somehow, some way, the dead in Christ are going to be raised. Somehow, some way, bodies are going to come back together and the graves of the redeemed around the world are going to be emptied. But the dead in Christ are going to rise first when Christ returns. And then those who are still alive, the scripture says that we are going to be transformed and transported. That instantly, well, we're going to leave this present reality. We're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. So all of this is going to happen like instantaneously as Jesus returns. Now here's the challenge. The challenge is we don't know when. We can be certain that he's going to come back. Well, Scripture says he's going to come back. Jesus said he's going to come back. The challenge is, is we don't know when. Matter of fact, in Matthew 24, verse 42, Jesus said these words. He says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But keep watch, be ready, be alert, be vigilant. So as believers today, we want want to live with confidence of Jesus' return and also with expectancy and readiness for His return. Like it it could be tomorrow. We should live, live with that kind of expectancy. You know, it's interesting in the early church. So we're going back to, say, 40 A.D., 50 A.D., 60 A.D., that a common greeting amongst believers was was Maranatha. So so a common greeting for us today. Rich, can you help me for a minute? So let's say I come up to Rich. Here's a common greeting today. I shake Rich's hand. Say, hey, how you doing today? Or, hey, dude, how's, how's it going? That, that's a common greeting today. But in the early church, as a believer would greet another believer, they would say, Maranatha. You know what the word Maranatha means? The Lord is returning. The Lord is... So imagine that. 
Imagine that in the early church, every time there's a believer greeting another believer, they didn't say, hi, how are you doing? And take their hands, eyeball to eyeball, hey, the Lord's returning. Oh, the Lord's coming back. It could be today. It might be tomorrow. But the Lord is returning. They were living with that kind of expectancy, that kind of readiness. And we should live with that same expectancy. We should live ready for the return of Christ. So how do we, how do we live ready? We live ready for the return of Christ by what? By accepting the provision of Christ. By receiving Christ's forgiveness. Coming into a living, life-giving relationship with Jesus. That's how we live ready. You know, it's been said that if you're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll only die once. Think about that. If you're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll only die once. And what does that mean? Well, we all know what it, we all know what it means to be born once, right? You, you probably don't remember this, but your mama screamed, she gave a push, you came out, the doctor spanked you, and you were born once. That's how it happened. You, you don't remember that, but really, that's, that's kind of how it came about. You came into the world. You were born once. And if you've only been born once, hear me, you'll die twice. Not only will you die physically, but the scripture tells us, and we're going to talk about this more next week, the great white throne judgment. You'll die twice and then there'll be an eternal death as well. If you're born once, you'll die twice. A physical death and a spiritual death, eternally separated from God. But here's the good news. If you've been born twice, you'll only die once. Born physically, but then to be born spiritually. And you might say, well, how, how am I born a second time? Interesting, that's the very question Nicodemus asked. John chapter 3, Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders, asked Jesus this question. He says, you know, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus said, you must be born again. And he's like, well, how can I do that? Enter my mother's womb a second time? That would be a challenge. <laughs> and Jesus said, no, you, you need to be born again spiritually to become a new creation in Christ. See, for those who are born twice, you only die once. And if Jesus comes back before you die, you don't even have to experience that. It's just, blah, zap, we're gone, right? But we want to live ready because this is what we can be certain of. If you think of the end times, this is one thing we can be certain of is this. Jesus is coming back. He is returning. And when he returns, this is what's going to happen. It brings us to the second statement there. You know, it's we have the rapture. What's the rapture? The rapture means this. Believers are going to be taken. Christians are going to exit. In a pretty amazing um, way that only God could orchestrate. You know, some years ago, some years ago, I, I listened to a preacher. And wow, it's been, now I think about it, a lot of years ago, because this happened when I was a teenager. Um, one, of, one of the preachers that I enjoyed listening to was a gentleman by the name of Happy Caldwell. Any of you familiar with that name, Happy Caldwell? Uh, yeah, so that, that goes, takes us way back, Al. Happy Caldwell. And I remember, even from a teenager, I remember him making this statement. He was preaching on the rapture, doing a sermon on the rapture. And this is what he said. He said, when the rapture happens, I'm going to grab two unbelievers, one unbeliever in my right hand, one unbeliever in my left hand. And as I'm zipping up through the heavenlies, I'm going to say to these two individuals that I'm holding on to, do you want to receive Jesus or do you want me to let go? <laughs> well, 
I don't know, I don't know if it's going to happen exactly like that. But Paul makes clear that somehow, someway, when Jesus returns, that we as believers, those who are still alive, are going to be instantly transformed and transported. Look back to verse 17, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says, after that, after the dead in Christ have been raised, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We call this event the rapture, the rapture of the saints. Now what's interesting, if you look to our English Bible, you'll not find the word rapture. The Greek, the, the Greek word here is harpazo, and it means this, it means to be snatched away. So to be caught up is the word harpazo in the Greek in the Greek structure, in the Greek text. And it means to be snatched, to be seized, to be rescued. Jesus explains it like this in Matthew 24. You can check this out later. Matthew 24, verse 39. Jesus says, two men will be out working in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other will be left. So let's bring it into modern day. We're on a building site. We have a lot of, of framers building a house. Three are taken, two are left. In your office place, you have individuals in cubicles going away at the computer. Two are taken, two are left instantly. Now for us who are believers, it's going to be pretty amazing. For those who are left behind, it's going to be pretty chaotic. You imagine 30%, 40% of the population instantly gone. Can you imagine? Just, I mean, think about it. Just think about the chaos playing out of believers being raptured out of their cars, the cars going down the interstate. I mean, it's going to be pretty chaotic, pretty wonderful, pretty amazing for those of us who are believers, but for those who are left behind, man, it's going to be pretty challenging. Now, there's generally four different beliefs about the rapture that people debate as to the timing in relation to the tribulation. The tribulation is a seven-year period of trouble. And so oftentimes, and I, and I don't want to go deep into this, but these words are thrown around, and I just want to give context to the words. You hear the word pre-trib, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, and another one I created called pan-trib. So there's, there's these different positions and it's ta- when you hear those words, they're talking about when's the rapture, when are believers going to be taken in relation to the seven years of trouble coming out. So those who would be uh, of a pre-trib view would say, hey, the rapture is going to happen before the seven years of, of distraught and, and trouble for, for the earth. And those who would say, well, I'm, I'm mid-trib, they believe that the rapture is going to happen midway through the tribulation, like before it really gets bad. And then there's those who are post-trib, who are a little crazy in their head, like they're going to stay here through the whole thing. Uh, and I was like, I, like, why would you want to do that? And then there's what I call the pan-trib, and I kind of made this up, but pan-trib are those of us who like we don't know how it's going to happen we just believe it's going to happen it's all going to pan out in the end so you know praise God it's all going to be okay but really there's those three positions and I and I just mentioned those because you hear those words thrown around in relation to the rapture now I'm going to tell you what I believe you don't have to agree with me you don't have to believe what I believe but I I happen to hold a pre-trib position I believe the rapture of the saints of the church is going to happen before the tribulation before the seven years there's a there's a number of reasons a number of scriptures that I don't have time to give you this morning you could check out uh 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, but there's one verse that seals it for me, and it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. So Paul, talking about the second coming of Christ, makes this statement, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, he says, For God did not appoint us, think about the second coming, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, to be rescued through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I believe that the rapture is going to happen before the seven years of tribulation and that we're going to be taken from this earth and we're going to find ourselves instantly in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's going to be pretty amazing. So what can we be certain of? We have hope today because this is what we know. Christ is going to return. He's coming back. Second thing we know is that the rapture is going to happen. Those who are alive, who've not died yet, those who are alive, and as well for those who are dead, the graves are going to be emptied, and we're going to find ourselves in the presence of Jesus. And here's the third thing that gives us hope today, is we have the reunion, is we're going to be with the Lord forever. To be with the Lord. Imagine that. We're going to be in His presence forever. That's what we have to look forward to. As I said a couple weeks ago, it's really important that we remember that this life is not all there is. What we're living today, hear me friends, is a momentary existence. It's a short period of time in relation to eternity. But it's this temporary existence that's preparing us for eternity. And there's going to come a day when we're going to be present with our Father, with Jesus, with the redeemed, what, forever. Look back to verse 18. Actually, verse 17. Let's read that again. And then into verse 18. He says, After that, we are still alive and left. We'll be caught up. We'll be raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Catch this next line. Maybe we can read it together. It's on the screen. Say this with me. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. So when the rapture happens, when Jesus comes back, for us as believers, where are we going to be? We're going to be with the Lord forever, for all eternity. We're going to enjoy the wonder of what God has prepared for us. Jesus spoke of this reality in in John chapter 12, verse 26. The scripture's on the screen, so would you read this with me? Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Notice two things Jesus says here. He says, where I am, my servant's going to be. So where, where Jesus is at, we know today he's seated at the right hand of the father. Where Jesus is at, that's where we're going to be. And he goes on to say that the Father's going to honor the one. We're going to talk about this next week as we talk about the judgment seat of Christ and that we are rewarded, we're honored because of the works, the good works, because of our our life of faith. Well, we're honored by the Father where? As we're in a place called heaven. We're going to be with the Lord forever. So as believers... We have this blessed hope of spending eternity in God's presence and enjoying the fullness of the plans He has for us. We have an unbelievable future before us. Paul says, encourage one another with these words. What the hope that we have. So in the midst of all of the uncertainty as it relates to the end, this we can be certain of. The end is coming. The end is coming. Now tell your neighbor, the end is coming. The end is coming. That's what we can be confident of. And because the end is coming, how should we live? Let me leave you really quick with these three statements. Because the end is coming, 
We should live with expectancy. Jesus said this. He said, keep watch. Be alert. Be ready. So we want to live with expectancy. What you don't want to do is you don't want to allow the routines of life and the challenges of life to cause you to lose sight of the fact that Jesus said, hey, I'm coming back. Be ready. We want to live our lives not just like getting by, but we want to live our lives sold out. Living with that expectancy that we would live with, with Maranatha. And we would be like the early believers who every time they would greet one another again, they would say, hey, the Lord is returning. He's coming back. But living with, with that expectancy. Not only do we want to live with expectancy, we want to live with urgency. Live with urgency. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you would say you have family members or friends today who don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? Well, some of you, you mean like all of your family saved? That's pretty amazing. Let me ask the question again. Because this is serious. How many of you today know that you have family members and friends who don't know Christ as their Savior. Listen, if they don't make a decision to receive Christ as their Savior, the Scripture tells us, and we're going to look at this more next week, but the Scripture tells us that they're going to spend eternity separated from God in a place of torment. Because they've, they've not received Christ. But we need to live with urgency. What's the urgency? To share the hope of the gospel. Every opportunity you get. Listen, I understand this. You can't save anyone. I can't save anyone. But what can we do? We can plant the seed of the gospel. Because the decision that individuals make concerning Jesus Christ is going to define their eternity. Pretty big deal. We're going to live with an urgency. Jesus is coming back. So let's tell everyone we can, every, every way we can, everywhere we can, about the hope that we have in Christ. We're living with expectancy. We're living with urgency. Lastly, I encourage you to live with hope. So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to worry about the end and, and the beast and the mark of the beast and that scary creature coming out of the sea that's going to get us all. We don't have to live in fear. You know what? We can live with hope. We can live with great hope. I love the way Paul records this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Speaking of the future that God has for you. The future that, that God has for me. Listen to what... Listen to what he wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. No eye has seen, in other words, hasn't been seen by mankind. No ear has heard. You, listen, in your mind, you can't even begin today to put together, to conceive all that God has in the future prepared for you. Wow. So what today as believers, because of the provision of Christ, because of the promise of God's Word, because of the future He has for us, well, we can live with great hope. Hope that we can share. So live with expectancy. Live with urgency. And celebrate the hope. The hope, the, the hope that you have knowing that when your life ends here, or if Jesus comes back, listen, it only gets better. That's the hope we have as believers. Because of the provision of Jesus Christ. And that's the good news today. Amen.
Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank You. I thank You, God, for Your grace and Your mercy. And for the way that You've prepared. For Lord Jesus, not only did You prepare a way, You prepared a place, and You've promised that You're coming back. Now, Lord, that's good news for us today. We thank You for the hope, the future that we have. To know that that when You return, or if we were to take our last breath here, to know, God, that it's well with our soul. That we get to graduate. We get to come to a place that would be in Your presence. And Lord, we, we get to... Lord, we get to be with You forever. That's what Your Word says. That's what we have to look forward to. And so that we celebrate that this morning. We don't take that lightly. We don't take that for granted. We celebrate what You have prepared for us, the way that You've made. Oh, that's good news today. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.